race fans, and welcome to another edition of the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast. I am your host, Scott Stiller. Thanks for finding us. We hope everybody is safe and healthy. Coming up on this week's podcast, we're talking with second-generation racer Graham Rahal of Rahal Letterman Lanigan Racing. We're also talking with Charlie Langenstein, the mechanical director on the Double Zero Starcom Racing NASCAR Cup Series Chevrolet of driver Quinn Huff. First up, some news this week in regards to the local dirt tracks. Port Royal Speedway and Lincoln Speedway has temporarily suspended their 2020 racing seasons because of the coronavirus. They plan to resume racing based on state and CDC guidelines. Miley Motorsports announced plans on opening Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway as soon as they are permitted to do so by government officials. This includes racing without fans first, assuming they can meet those guidelines. We'll keep you up to speed on all of that, of course, over on our website, pittsburghracingnow.com. The All-Star Circuit of Champions has postponed races at Sharon Speedway and Lernerville Speedway because of restrictions surrounding COVID-19. The Lernerville date has been rescheduled to May 22nd. The All-Stars and Sharon are working to find a date that works for everyone involved. We'll keep you posted over at pittsburghracingnow.com. Our first guest is no stranger to Western Pennsylvania race fans. Joining us on the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast, driver of the number 15, United Rentals, turns for troops, Total Honda for Rahal Letterman Racing, Graham Rahal. Did I get everybody in there? Close enough. Yeah, there's a lot. So, you know, good, good effort there. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. The first question I always ask podcast guests is how they got into racing. And with you growing up around the sport, did you always have that affinity that you wanted to get into racing or how'd that, how'd that happen? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, for me, it was always my number one passion, really. Um, obviously, with my dad, Bobby, most people would think that's, that's, that's an obvious. Um, but, you know, my, like my other siblings, you know, it wasn't theirs, for instance. You know, they had other ideas of what they wanted to do. So, um, you know, for me, it was just, uh, it was always my love and, and, uh, my obsession. And, you know, since the time I was a little kid that my focus was to, uh, to, to try and, and be an IndyCar driver. And, you know, very fortunately, uh, we were able to uh, make that happen and been able to enjoy a long career so far. What was the first race car you remember climbing into? Oh, probably the first, um, was, uh, it was actually an old star Mazda, uh, as far as race car. I mean, go-karts, obviously I raced go-karts for many, many years before, but the first car, um, you know, would have been a star Mazda car, I think up at Grattan raceway in Michigan. Um, and I remember because dad was, was so mad. He was so mad that I got into a car without, he wasn't there on that day. And I, I, I never really thought that maybe that was like a special occasion for him <laughs> as much as it was me. Um, but yeah, I drove that. And then, uh, and then <clears throat> after that, we went into former BMW and went, went car racing, you know, from there on out. I had one of your formula BMWs on the wall when I worked for your dad's BMW dealership down here in Pittsburgh. So that's kind of crazy. People always used to look up at the car and they'd be like, is that Bobby? And I'm like, no, that's actually Graham. So it was a nice little tie-in. <laughs> so um, so from there... Yeah, you- those were, uh, I remember that. I remember that car being up there. Um, in fact, it might still be. I can't remember. But 
Yeah, it's pretty cool, actually. And a lot of our dealerships there in the Pittsburgh area, Harrisburg, you know, there's some sort of race car on the wall, which, you know, is always kind of a fun thing to, to throw back to the family heritage and stuff like that. Well, one of the cool things, I, I just got word a couple of weeks ago that the dealership group is sponsoring the vintage Indy cars to be at the Pittsburgh Vintage Grand Prix this year. So that's going to be super cool, kind of tie it all together. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I mean, the Pittsburgh Vintage Grand Prix has been huge for our company. You know, I know we always have a big presence there and everybody within our organization uh, is extremely excited year in and year out to get the opportunity to go you know, would be a part of that. I have personally never been, and I and I have great regrets about that. I hope that sometime soon here we'll be able to uh, to break through and and go do that. Um, you know, but I've never uh, I've never had the opportunity, just time wise, to to get there. But you know, it's uh, it's a big event for us. Obviously, our dealership group, you know, and what we do there in the Pittsburgh area. Um, we're trying to uh, you know trying to continue to build our organization. Uh, and events like that definitely help. When you uh, were driving the Formula BMW, what was your next progression? Was it to uh, Toyota Atlantics? Well, uh, my my uh, progression from Formula BMW, I went to Star Mazda. Uh, from Star Mazda, I went to Formula Atlantic, and then Formula Atlantic to, to IndyCar, to Champ Car at the time. Uh, and then, obviously, the two united the year after my rookie year, so... Um, you know, for me that, that, that was, a definitely a positive, um, you know, that I was pretty quickly able to, to come and race together with a lot of the great guys, uh, of the sport, uh, in one unified series. So my, my timing was actually quite good there. Um, uh, pretty, pretty lucky, you know, to, to have that, but yeah, it's, um, you know, the progression nowadays is actually even more clear. I mean, Atlantic really is no longer, um, so you know, if you're a young up and coming, um, you know, uh, driver, it's a it's USF 2000, uh, you go into Star Mazda, you go into Indy lights and you go into Indy cards. It's a, they, they've made it pretty nice and, and clear, uh, you know, maybe even, uh, formula four F four, uh, might be in there as well below USF 2000, but pretty good progression, you know, to, to get yourself into the big leagues. And when you got into the big leagues, you won the first race at St. Pete and uh, I should say of the Unified Series, and you became the youngest open-wheel winner in the history, and I think until Herta won at Coda, correct? Yes, that's that's correct. Um, you know, he definitely did a great job down there at Coda, um, you know, to, uh, to pick that up. Um, but, no, I think that, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely been – quite a uh you know quite an exciting time for us there's a lot of young guys starting to get into the sport now um which is which is cool and um you know colton's kind of helped carry that as he goes forward here and um you know hopefully well, at one point it was me obviously but uh now i'm in my 30s and things have changed quite a bit you know and off we go but uh, it's definitely been um you know an exciting time in the indycar race and you've got a changing of the guard right now you've got a lot of older the older guys that are starting to phase out over the next few years, and a lot of young guys that are starting to come in. Um, you know, so it's pretty pretty exciting for all of us to be a part of. It's got to be pretty exciting for you when you broke in. Obviously, you drove for Paul Newman and Carl Haas. You spent a couple of years with Chip. Now you're driving for your dad, and I'm sure there couldn't mm-hmm. be a better place than being home. But being with three top-notch organizations as you came up 
to the point where you're at now. Obviously, that's a lot of excellence to be around. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that, you know, it's, it's definitely been a great place for me to land. Um, you know, if I look at it, th- there's always, you know, the positive and negatives of, of driving with or, or for your dad. Um, you know, there's, there's always the challenges that do come along with that. Uh, but, you know, I think it's, it's been a great place for me. Uh, when I look back at, you know, where I was and, and what I was doing and uh, all of that sort of thing, um, you know, it's, it's every, every other team I drove for, like Ganassi, for instance, you know, I mean, I, I put together the deal to go and run there and race there. And, and when I did, you know, um, the sponsors all along, even though it was Chip Ganassi, you know, the sponsors all along were just saying, Hey, why, why not? Why not your dad? You know, you, we have, for us as companies, you know, that are going to go and sponsor you. I mean, we, we want to be able to promote you and your dad, you know, that's, that's a lot of value to us. We don't care to promote you and Chip Ganassi. Chip Ganassi doesn't have the value for us that you and your dad do. And it's like, okay, you know, the writing was on the wall pretty, pretty quickly um, that rather than competing against dad, you know, we needed to compete together um, because at the end of the day, what we do, you know, we're in a sport that's so driven by money uh, and driven by sponsorship. We had to work together. We had to work together to both help the longevity of the race team and help the longevity of, of obviously my career as well. And so um, that's what we did. And uh, we were very fortunate that it all worked out the way that it did. Um, you know, we've had, like I said, we've had our ups and downs. We've had our challenges. Uh, but I think, you know, we've kind of battled through most of that. And we've able to, been able to work through it together. And, um, you know, and I think that we put put together a pretty good program. I mean, you know, we're, we're last year was a tough year. Um, you know, but a couple of years before that, you know, we were, in a three-year span, we won as many races as anybody. And so, you know, when you look at it from that perspective, um, you know, for sure, I think uh, the, the the best days are still ahead of us. It's interesting how you watch an organization grow. And, you know, your, your Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan has continued to grow. And they brought Takuma back. You guys, uh, I was talking to your dad at St. Pete, and really excited to get the season going. And you're going to add Spencer uh, at the Indy races with uh, Robbie Buell and Rob Citrone, which is only going to help the program yeah. because it's so data-driven nowadays and so engineering-driven. Uh, and it's only, you know, putting all those great minds together to make the car go faster. For sure. And, you know, we're excited about that. I mean, uh, I'd never met Rob Citrone and his family until recently, but obviously Pittsburgh people, uh, you know, he, he's a great guy and uh, certainly – I think he's very, very excited to be a part of it. We're excited to have him. Robbie Buell's a great guy. Known Robbie a long time. Driven for Robbie before. Uh, so no surprises there. Nothing that I didn't expect. You know, he's, he's been a, he's a tremendous guy, uh, and a, and a great asset for us to have, um, you know, with us. But, uh, no, I'm, I'm excited. Um, I think that, you know, Spencer's going to bring a lot to us when we get to the 500 there in August. A little weird saying that, but I think he's going to be, uh, you know, he's got a lot of experience um, now at the Speedway. I think, you know, he started on the front row there, I think, last year. And, uh, you know, he knows what a good car should feel like around there. And I think he'll be a great asset for our program. When you look at, you know, you we were everybody was down in St. Pete ready to get the season going. And then this whole uh, COVID-19 thing through the red flag. Uh, how have you been able to and what have you been doing to spend your time and what are you doing to keep uh, sharp? It's a good, good question. Uh, it's, it's been a challenge to stay sharp. Um, 
I think anybody who tells you that's not the case and they give you some line of, oh, I'm doing this or that, you know, they're full of it. It's hard right now. It's hard. It's hard to, you know, day in, day out, you know, you're working out in the same gym, you're doing the same things, you know, you're watching tape, you're, you're studying, you're trying to keep motivated. Um, I feel like I've done a good job at that, but it is hard to, to get, to get in it into a different mindset, you know, which is, you know, kind of sitting, waiting and, and hoping to get back on track. I mean, it looks like we're about a month out uh, from going racing, which is a great sign. Um, I'm certainly excited to get out there and be a part of that and uh, do the best that we can. I think you know we we as an organization had a lot uh, to look forward to and have a lot to look forward to. We get a lot of potential within our group uh, to, to put put ourselves in a good position and to perform really well. And so um, I'm, I'm definitely excited uh, for the opportunity once it comes. It, it it's taken a while. Um, you know, it has been a little bit of a tricky period of time. I think we all know that. Um, but we've all tried to stay healthy. We've all tried to stay focused here on our end goals. And uh, we're going to try to get out there and compete hard this year and get some wins. I think one of the coolest things the series has done and the drivers have jumped on board is the uh, IndyCar iRacing Challenge. It keeps the sport out. You guys have invited some other drivers in. I know you mm-hmm. had a hand in getting Dale Jr. to uh, – uh, jump into the show at Michigan. Talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, the iRacing thing has been great, I think, to fill a little bit of a void. Um, you know, we, we've got to be careful. I think we're going to do, what, two more weekends of it or something, you know, and then that will, that'll pretty much be it. But, yeah, I mean, you know, the iRacing has been great. It's uh, it's definitely uh, something that I think a lot of fans have, have needed or wanted, uh, I should say. I think they've, they've wanted some, you know, some excitement. They've wanted something to watch. And it's crazy, you know, if you look at the, if you look at the numbers, that are on there uh, about pe- of people that are watching. I mean, it's actually pretty shocking, you know, that, that, that there's a lot of people who are paying attention to this stuff. Um, but I think what it comes down to is, like, like I said, everybody wants something to watch right now. Everybody wants something to get themselves excited. Um, and so the iRacing has provided a great platform for that. You know, as we look forward, obviously we, we've got to be, we've got to be cautious. We've got to be smart about, um, you know, the visibility of it and, and, and not, uh, and, and, you know, the fact that we, we need, we need the racing still to be the primary focus really. And so I think that we're, we're getting to that stage that, you know, it's, uh, it's losing a little bit of its loss and we're, you know, we're going to have to, you know, just get back to on track action and go racing, but we're, we're pretty close. We're pretty close now. I think. Sounds like from what, uh, I saw the governor of Florida, ruled that sports is uh, an essential business. So uh, I saw the WWE fired some stuff up even without a crowd. And now it sounds like the Texas governor is moving in that direction. And I heard Eddie Gossage suggest the other day that that NASCAR and IndyCar should team up for a doubleheader at Texas. I know he's been pounding that drum ever since they started talking about running a doubleheader. Uh, And he didn't want to do it... uh, without fans in the stands but i i think even he understands that if there aren't fans in the stands it's going to be a huge tv number just to get something live back on the television obviously i think eddie's you know eddie's going to take credit for the idea i mean my my personal opinion is you know this really comes down to the two series or are pushing the work together um you know i know nothing about that specifically but i'd imagine that that's the case i also know that eddie two weeks ago said he wouldn't host a race if there weren't fans and then his boss came out and said, Nope, we will host a race. So, you know, I think we got to be cautious of what we read there. I think Marcus Smith, who owns the track, he and his family, um, 
you know, they, they're, they're wise people and they know what's best for the sport and they know what's best for the fans. I mean, yes. Do we want fans in the stands? Absolutely. If it, if, because again, I really don't know the truth in this whole scenario, but if IndyCar and NASCAR go together for their first ever, ever race uh, together at, at Texas, would that be a fan event, a great fan event, an event that fans want to come and be a part of? You better believe it. But at the same time, right now, it's just not the ideal scenario. Right now, we all need to get on track. We need to fulfill races. We need to get out there. We need to put on good shows. And I do anticipate the TV numbers being great. So, you know, that's going to be our uh, that's going to be our focus for sure. I think uh, if, if Texas can make that happen, it would be huge. I think the fans would love it. We would love it. Um, and it, it would be great for motorsports in general. One of the cool things I noticed during the whole iRacing uh, program that's going on that your sponsor, United Rentals, is fulfilling the Turns for Troops donations that they're doing. That is such an awesome program. Tell the fans that are listening about the program and exactly what United Rentals is doing there. Yeah, so for every lap we complete, uh, United Rentals donates $50 per lap. And so this year uh, in the iRacing, we've completed all but two laps. Uh, fortunately, I'm going to make up the gap on those two laps. Uh, but so let's consider it all the laps completed. I want to say we're getting close to $15,000 already uh, that we've raised to help our veterans get back on their feet. So what do we do? Um, we help provide through Turns for Troops uh, money to a group called Soldiers Strong. Uh, Soldiers Strong is a nonprofit that uses the money to develop higher technologies. Um, so what do I mean by that? Exoskeleton suits for paralyzed veterans. So we buy exoskeleton suits. We provide them to VA hospitals. These VA, VA hospitals now have a suit that um, a veteran can use to get back up on their feet, to stand up, to move around, to do all the things that they need to do to not only help their bone density and uh, help their bodies, but also help the morale. I mean, standing up again, uh, it means a lot to those guys and gals. You know, to be able to look somebody in the eye, it means a lot to them. And so we try to help with that. It's also developing uh, VR technology, uh, you know, virtual reality. With a lot of the PTSD out there, uh, people that are suffering from it, one of the, uh, you know, greatest solutions or things that seems to be helping is, is VR, uh, virtual reality. A lot of these veterans, you know, they, they, uh, they, they get injured in a battlefield or they get injured, you know, uh, when, when a bomb explodes in a, in a building and they lose a friend or they lose a buddy or whatever it may be. And for the rest of their lives, they question what happened. I don't remember clearly. I remember this part or that part. And they can actually rebuild that and put them back through that exact experience to answer questions. People think that's counterintuitive, counterintuitive, but it actually answers the question for them of what happened. And for a lot of them, it puts them at ease. Okay, it wasn't me. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't something that I did that caused this to happen. And so that's huge. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to help you know, provide all of those solutions uh, and give them uh, the ability to, um, you know, live a, live a better life. So, you know, we're working hard on that. Our goal is to cross a million dollars this year. I want to say we're at 850,000. So I don't see any way that we don't, you know, get, get to uh, get to a million this year. Uh, but we are, uh, we're extremely excited. The other way that we benefit that is through our, our charity golf event. My wife, Courtney and I put on a charity golf event Thursday before the Indy 500. And, um, you know, we, we raised, we raised, uh, last year about $300,000. So, um, you know, we're going to continue to push on down that path, but, you know, I think that there's, uh, we, we can definitely have a lot of, uh, a lot of success with this and, and try to improve the lives of all these veterans. 
as someone who's sat back and watched how you've matured over the years and how you apply your business knowledge to things that you're passionate about, uh, I have to give you a tip of the cap to you, the team, and everybody involved because that program, personally, I don't think we can do enough for our veterans uh, for their sacrifice, and a program like this is just phenomenal. Yeah, and, you know, it's cool because also there in Pittsburgh, you know, um, or all of Pennsylvania, you know, our dealerships, our dealerships get in on this too. Um, and so I think it's November. In November, they sell in every car that our dealership sells, a percentage of the money goes to Turns for Truth. And so everybody rallies around this, which I also think is great. And uh, like you said, this isn't about me. This isn't about my dad. It's, not, it's just simply about trying to give back and help. I mean, that's all we can, that, that, it, that's all our focus can be. How can we help? How can we improve those lives? And uh, I, I think that you're right. You know, often uh, we rely on these men and women to go overseas, to fight their battles, to, to do all these things. But when they get back home, they, there's a massive void that's left. Uh, there's a massive void that uh, that they have to live with. Um, and, you know, it's our job, I think, to stand up as citizens and, and understand that, you know, while everybody likes to try to point the finger at the government all the time, there's not, there's only really so much a government can do financially and to support all of these things. And so what can we do as citizens to help? Uh, and I'm very proud also of, of, you know, to be associated with the United Rentals because, I mean, United Rentals, time and time again, this is no sales pitch. These are good people. And these people in a time right now with COVID-19 and everything else, their business isn't doing great, obviously. Yet here they are saying, you know what? Who cares? We're going to still do this turns for troops. We're going to still raise money to help our veterans. And that speaks volumes of just the people that, that, that run that company. And so I'm, I'm extremely proud to be associated with them too. Absolutely. I know uh, when uh, we first got on the call, you talked about your dogs, and you're involved in a cool program called One Cure. And uh, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so I have uh, my two are Arrow and Bo. I have two two uh, two Malamutes. Uh, they're they're the light of our lives. <laughs> they definitely keep us entertained a hundred hundred uh, percent of our time. Uh, but yeah, so One Cure is is a um, is a great organization based out of Colorado State that we've been associated with. And uh, in essence, what One Cure has done is use comparative oncology to find cures for cancer in dogs um, that work in humans. And so um, when people say how, I mean, how does that make sense? Well, if you think about for many, many, many years, if a, if a dog uh, or a pet in general got cancer, the solution was that, well, unfortunately, we're going to put them down. Not much we can do. We're going to put them down. Well, nowadays, it's not the case. Nowadays, in comes, you know, one cure, and they realize, hold on a second. You know, a dog is 85% genetically identical to a human being. Okay, so that's the first positive. Second positive is that dogs have short lifespans. So when we do any testing, if we're going to try a, a treatment, we're going to get a quicker answer than with humans. Humans, you might need a 20-year study. A dog, you need a year. And so these things have been able uh, to help us expedite, I say us, help the doctors expedite a cure. Um, so where do we come in? You know, we provide funding to help find these solutions. Uh, the current program that we are funding uh, through our foundation 
through the help of all of our generous donors at our golf tournament. Um, we are, we, we are working hard to find a cure for bone cancer. And we found, they found a, a treatment in the dogs that is working. Um, it's working extremely well. And so now we are the first ever to fund a program that has taken this treatment found to work in dogs. Uh, and now is going to be uh, used as a clinical trial on children who have been told that there's no further option for you. And so our first study is currently ongoing at Denver, uh, at the um, Children's Hospital Denver. Our second program will kick off here in Atlanta shortly. And we're here to help, you know, kick cancer's butt. I mean, I don't know what else to say. I think we all want that. And if we look back and we all raise our hand and we say, who's been affected by cancer, everybody that's listening to this right now would, would raise your hand, whether it's your dog, whether it's your family, whether it's a friend, everybody's been affected. And so we're going to help try to put a stop to that. That is awesome. And thanks for shedding some light on it and educate, educating us about it. That That is great. You've got one other side gig that I know a lot of uh, race fans pay attention to, and that's GR Performance. And so for all the fans out there, tell them what GR performance is all about. And if I ever hit the lotto, I want that purple Ford GT. <laughs> yeah. So my, my performance facility, obviously we are actually a dealer as well. So we are a car dealer, used car dealer. We, we rely heavily on, on all of our new car franchises to keep, you know, to keep selling the vehicles, not us. But um, yeah, so we're, we're, we're a used car dealer that also, specializes in, in performance parts and products. So what do we do? Um, typically, we're doing all sorts of upgrades on, 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 on vehicles, typically on Porsche, Mercedes, uh, products like that. That's cool. I know everybody's excited to hopefully get back to racing here in the next month. And, and, and when it happens, you guys are going to be, you know, it's going to be a condensed schedule or it's going to be a very different schedule. So uh, I, I, I don't know how... You guys will prepare for that. I guess it'll just be good to get back to the track and back into what would be considered a normal routine. Hopefully IndyCar racing can provide that for a lot of people. Hopefully racing in general. Obviously, you know, NHRA, NASCAR, hopefully racing in general can can come back and, and provide, you know, the excitement that a lot of people uh, are, are looking for. Well, we're looking forward to it. We hope uh, you, your lovely wife, Courtney, everybody stays safe until we can get the green flag and I really appreciate you taking some time out of your schedule to join us on the Pittsburgh Racing Now yeah, podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no worries. Thank you very much. Incredible work on and off the track for Graham Rahal and his wife, Courtney. For more information about the Graham and Courtney Rahal Foundation, check out their Facebook page. And I would follow both of them on social media. They're great follows. COVID-19, better known as coronavirus, has spread throughout the world. Symptoms of this respiratory disease may include fever, cough, and shortness of breath. These symptoms may show up 2 to 14 days after exposure. If you are experiencing these symptoms and have come into contact or are in an area with an ongoing outbreak, please call a hotline and or consult with a physician. Clean and disinfect high-touch surfaces. For more information, please visit cdc.gov forward slash COVID-19. Thank you. Our next guest is Charlie Langenstein, the mechanical director of the Starcom Racing Team. Charlie is like so many guys who grew up spending their Friday and Saturday nights at the local dirt tracks. Joining us on the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast and mechanical director for Starcom Racing, Charlie Langenstein. 
You folks may know him on Twitter as Wrench Twister Double Zero, and Charlie works along with driver Quinn Huff. We appreciate you taking time out to join us. Hey, you know it's a pleasure. Uh, that's uh, I, I keep an eye on what you guys are doing on Twitter and everything, and it's a it's a pleasure to be here and talk to some of the folks around the Pittsburgh area. Awesome. We appreciate it. We know you've done some racing up here. When did you first become a fan of racing? Well, you know, I, I grew up in a, a, a racing family. My dad used to race um, down in uh, southern Jersey. He used to race uh, uh, three tracks down there. He'd run Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday. He raced uh, uh, Pleasantville, Speedway, Echo, and Vineland, uh, those tracks down there. And then I just grew up around it. And, um, you know, uh, as a kid growing up, I always wanted to be a race car driver. So, um, you know, just kind of always helped my dad on his cars and stuff. And got to the point where my dad couldn't afford to do it anymore. So then, you know, he would uh, tinker with a guy's car, and I'd, I'd be kind of like a package deal. And I uh, just kind of stuck with it all my life and just kind of just learn how to, to uh, work on the cars. Because my dad always told me, if you're going to be a race car driver, you need to know what the heck you're doing working on it. So um, that was the route that I took. So about what age were you when you turned it in from being just, you know, a hobby kind of thing to pursuing it down the professional road? Actually, you know, I, I probably made my first dollar working on a race car. Um, I, I, I started really young, but I mean, probably got any paid for anything right around 16 years old. Um, I, one of my first uh, big jobs. I started with a guy by the name of Larry Voss out of New Jersey. Um, and then, of course, you know, we helped him on the weekends and stuff. And then I got to meet some people that raced. Um, they own a, a company called Statewide Highway Construction, and they had a race team. And um, I would uh, actually went up working uh, for them during the summer. Uh, I would move down to New Jersey. I lived in, I grew up in Delaware. And uh, just stayed there the summer. And then when school got ready to start in September, I'd move back to Delaware, go to school, and did that every year for, for quite a while. And I was about 16 years old when I first actually started getting paid to work on a race car. And what series did statewide run in? Back then, we ran in the Dirt Series. Glenn Donnelly had that deal throughout New York. It's a um, the Dirt uh, Series. Back then, the late 70s and early 80s, it was called the CRC Racing Series. And, you know, we raced all around uh, anything in New York, uh, Canada, Drummondville, uh, area up there in Quebec. And then we raced uh, as far out west. We've, we've gone to uh, Sharon, Lernerville. Um, I think we had a deal one time at Mercer got rained out. Um, and then we raced as far south as Delaware, um, and throughout New Jersey and Pennsylvania. But it was back then it was like, a uh, probably a 25 to 30 race, uh, series that you'd run like during the week. And then, um, of course with, uh, I was with statewide racing. Jimmy Horton was the driver. Um, back then we were running modified most of the time. And then we started running some uh, sprint cars. And, uh, back then as a kid growing up through, through all those years, we'd race about 100, 120 times a year. Um, you know, we'd race so much that you'd pray for a rain out just so you could either get some rest or clean your clothes, one or two, you know? <laughs> I hear you. Well, I'll tell you what, I, that's where I tip the cap to the racers because, you know, uh, the hard part with dirt racing is, you know, when it rains, sometimes they're sitting at the track just waiting and, you know, the skies open up and then the, you know, they're, they're loading everything back up and hauling out of the track and didn't even get a chance to race. So, uh, that's yeah, really, yeah. you know, that's really when you find out the guys that love it because they're there. Well, back in, back in that day, uh, Scott, you remember we didn't have, uh, enclosed trailers either. You know, we had either ramp trucks or, or open trailers and, um, you know, you, in an open trailer or a ramp truck, you'd, you'd have to store a lot of equipment um, in it. So, I mean, you know, you got everything outside in the weather. And when it, when it would rain, it would rain. And, I mean, it's like everything else you had to 
make sure you cover the carburetor up and and uh, all that kind of stuff and cover electronics up stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, back then we didn't have the uh, uh, the enclosed trailers. Where everybody kind of jumps in and, and stays dry these days, you know. Do you have any fond memories of racing at Lernerville or uh, Jennerstown or Pittsburgh's Pennsylvania Motor Speedway, even Heidelberg, maybe back in the day? Well, I, I tell you, I, I, there's probably the best the best story I have. One time, we were running the uh, the series race out there. Uh, I was with Jimmy Horton, and we were uh, I think it was uh, Lernerville and um, Sharon Speedway. It was it was on the schedule, so we're headed on out there. To the, the racetrack and we, we were based out in new jersey south jersey so we're driving up the highway and we had all good equipment don't get me wrong we had had great race cars and good haul, hauling vehicles and stuff well anyhow the crazy thing one night we were, we're riding up there and had to think it was the generous or not the generous time the sharon speedway for a race and we got up around at the Irwin exit in pennsylvania off the turnpike and uh, we blew the murder up in the truck um so we're sitting you know we lost the oil pressure something happened I, you know it, it was the catastrophic where stuff jumped out of the oil pan but so we pull off the side of the road and uh come to find out it was terminal so we're sitting there this before we had cell phones so we're, we're kind of wondering well, what the heck we're going to do so uh somebody got the bright idea to unload the race car off the ramp truck and so we did and we unloaded it and we took the stagger out because the dirt dirt uh car has a lot that has back then you have a lot more stagger so um the bright idea was we took some stagger out of the car straighten up you know and, and get uh pretty even size comfort tires on the back and jimmy horton drove the thing the modified probably three or four miles down to the exit actually to the exit ramp to, to get uh get a phone call and get get business rolling so we get this thing fixed so uh while that was all going on we were, we were uh um he called and, and i called back to a main shop in new jersey and they're they're getting a, a crate motor for us and the guy's going to drive it out and he saw here about three four in the morning so whatever it was and so we, we kept on working all night long and and getting uh getting a motor out of the truck and uh, getting things, you know, ready so when the motor showed up. And then a policeman showed up one time and put his lights on to come up and say, hey, boys, what you all doing? And we looked at him like he's crazy. Like, you know, you can see what we're doing. He goes, no, 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 I understand. He says, he starts laughing. He goes, you guys uh, um, got more uh, equipment work on this truck than the local garage does downtown. And uh, so he was really, really accommodating. And, and uh, um, he put some flares out and gave us some, uh, you know, some extra flares and stuff like that. And we were off the road pretty good that we didn't really have to worry about, you know, getting picked off or anything like that. But we had a brainstorm. You know, we had a lot of brainstorms back then. But we were getting hungry, and we were like, what the heck are we going to do for dinner? And, you know, the only transportation we had was the race car. We couldn't keep running that thing down the highway, right? So, I don't know. We looked over, looked off the side of the road and looked down this. I don't want to call it a mountain, but I don't want to call it a hill either. But it was it was it had some elevation to it. So, we looked down there and seen a baseball, a little league, a little league uh, field. So, one of us, me, and another uh me and another guy, we climbed down the old hill, mountain slash, whatever the heck it was. And we walked up to the hot dog stand there that the, it was a little lake, and they had a concession stand. And I'll never forget it. We were waiting in line. We got there, and uh, yeah, how can I help you? I said, we need like 40 hot dogs. And the guy looked at me like he was crazy. So we got this, just about every hot dog he owned that night and threw them in a box and grabbed some sodas and made what we could carry. And up the hill we went, and that was our dinner and probably breakfast, too. But uh, we finally wound up getting uh, getting the motor in, and uh, we had one hiccup with it. They didn't take my apples right wrong. So uh, there's a fellow by the name of Blackie Watt. He's a legend up around that area. He helped us out, got us right in, take my apples, and we got going down the road. And we get to Lernerville, and I think it was Lernerville. We we unloaded, and uh, and uh, I, I went up to Merv Trigler. He was a racer back then. I said, Merv, what gear y'all running this thing here? He said, man, we got a 556. I said, oh, man, I said, we got 535. That's close enough. We went out there and just, you know, you know, rolling the feature out, you know. They tried to wait as long as we could because we they knew we were coming. We missed the night before. And we rolled out there, and I think we ran third that night. And um, 
you know, which is really good because we had a start back as well. But that's my best story. Um, other than, uh, wanting to get there to that there for Manny brothers, one of these years up in Pittsburgh, um, that I can tell you that, uh, it was my racing experience. I did fool around a little bit, stuff with Jenner's down. I got some stories to tell you, but you know, we'll save that for another show. Uh, you you told me you've dabbled in in all kinds of different racing. Uh, talk a little bit about your uh, dabbling a little bit in open wheel as well. Well, you know, back then, you know, I, I worked with Horton and we run some sprint cars, and uh, you know, uh, and then you know we we you know we run uh, local URC stuff, and they had a series. We didn't run it full time then, but then we got uh, he got so good at running the sprint cars, we'd actually run Williams Grove on Friday nights and maybe go over to, uh, uh, Lincoln and, and, uh, you know, we ran just about everywhere. And then one year we got to bring, we went to Florida and race every year. We took the modified and the sprint cars down and we raced Florida every year. And then one year we decided to go world outlaw racing. And, um, so we, we raced Florida and I got a story I could say for another day that we, we got our truck and trailer, our, our truck stolen with the race car. On it. Oh, God. Um, but, but that's another story. But then we, we left Florida and went to Texas and we raced as far as we could till we, till we ran out of motors. And, um, we got to, uh, Riverside Speedway over there in West Memphis, Arkansas. And, um, that was our last race. We, uh, ran there and we had, we blew all of our good stuff up or everything out. We had all good equipment and all, but we weren't as prepared as we really need to be. Um, so we got, got through about 10 or 15 of the, of the races on the series. And then we got to Arkansas, ran that race. We turned around and went back home and, uh, uh, actually drove all night, went to Bridgeport Speedway, unloaded a modified and won there. And then, um, then we regrouped and went out again, but we didn't, we didn't, uh, we didn't go after the tour like we were going to, um, for a lot of reasons, you know, with the, with the way, uh, we were, uh, structured at the time. But, um, I did that and actually I, I tinkered around, the um, Indy cars back in the early, uh, 1979 and 80 and 81 I actually worked on Indianapolis cars full time. So, uh, who were you working um, for at that point? Well, what happened was there was a race in Trenton, New Jersey, and uh, there was a uh, we were off at the modified that weekend with Horton, so I decided to go up there. They had a, they had a that's when the kind of like the gas cr- uh, crisis and crunch was going on, and they had a modified race for Trenton and the Indy cars, and the modified race was a weird deal because they were doing some kind of thing like half put water and half gasoline, and they were going to have a race some, some kind of gimmick that they had. Well, I I snuck my way in because New Jersey was I always had to sneak in because I was always too young uh, back then. You know, they, they're still. Uh, the, the motor vehicle keeps on racing. They, they run a motor, uh, motor vehicle runs racing in New Jersey, but I'd sneak in and, and, um, I got hooked up with a guy by the name of Larry boom, boom cannon out of Danville, Illinois, uh, low dollar guy. You know, he, he was, uh, he was there with, with his own car and him and that was Billy, uh, him and another guy. And, um, I just started helping him. And one thing led to another, I wind up, uh, you know, camping out with him that night. Cause I was, but my plan was I was going to, uh, sleep in my car and take a shower at the truck stop and, and go to the race the next day, but he he put me up in his motorhome. We and we got to shoot in the pool, and, and then uh, kind of let the uh, open the, the door up to go to Indianapolis the following year. And, and my high school, I took the, uh, my uh, high school year, nineteen eighty. I took off the whole month of May to go to Indianapolis and uh, work on a car. We made the race and and uh, started fourteenth. Uh, and uh, I'll never forget we qualified one eighty two two five two mile an hour. And and we had we had no business even being in the race. We had we didn't have no money. No sponsor. We had a, uh, an Offenhauser with an old Wildcat, and uh, we got the thing run pretty good. First weekend of, of, of time trials, we, we we put her in the show pretty solid. And then uh, after that, that's the year they had the Chaparral. Um, uh, Johnny Rutherford was driving the Pennzoil car, and it was 
more like ground effects and stuff. So once we made the race, we, we tinkered a little bit, took over the shop over in Indianapolis. I got with Bob Finley, went over to his shop, did some uh, work on the bottom tub side, a little bit cleaned up, a little bit, try to try to make it a little slicker for the race. And then uh, we did all that. And then uh, lo and behold, they dropped the green flag. We were the first car out of the race, three laps in, we broke the camp shaft. So, um, and uh, I'll never forget it. That day I was actually working out on the speedway all the way against the racetrack wall, uh, the sign, uh, the sign guy that day. And um, I stood out there for, you know, had, once you got over there, you're there all day long. So I watched 500 miles of the um, Indy 500 standing right, you know, right, right next to the, the, the wall. So ba- pretty cool. Basically where the scoring pylon is, right? Because you're you're yep. in between the, the pit in that section between the pits and the front straightaway. Yes, exactly. You got to remember too. Back then, they did, there was no pit road speed either. Um, even during the month of May, out there practice, man. I mean, you'd be working on a car, and these guys come flying down through there. And Indy cars, well, a lot, well, a lot of times, what they'll do is, is they'll come off the corner and, and cut the motor off, and they just coast. One of the things coast real good, and, and you can't hear nothing. You turn around. I mean, uh, I think uh, Chip Ganassi was running there that year too. Uh, it was 1980s year. I was there at the Speedway. Um, I know uh, um, there's another fellow. Uh, that, that was up around, uh, one Tom Bagley, might have been Tom Bagley. I think he's up around your area too. But there was a couple guys there. Um, Jerry Carl, he had something going on. He, he had something around the Pennsylvania area. He made the show. He had an old Chevrolet in a, in a car. Um, uh, Roger Rager made it with a Chevrolet, um, Chevrolet powered car. So it was, it was a transition. When I, when I got hooked up at 79 at the Trenton race, it, it was a deal where Roger Penske just pretty much took the series over because it was USAC and Cart had split. Well, Trenton back in back in '79, uh, Roger said it's a televised race. He he says this these grandstands are going to be full if I got to let the gates open and let everybody just come in because he wanted to, he wanted to show how strong Cart was going to be. Um, so uh, you know, let everybody in and watch the race for nothing. But when it uh, when they filled it and taped it, they they seen a lot of people there and they said, oh, what the series going on pretty good. So, um, but yeah, I tinkered with that stuff. Then I went back to the, back to the modified the sprint car stuff after that. Um, you know, and here we are. When did you, uh, when did you transition South into NASCAR? Well, it was a situation where, uh, through that period of time, the Indianapolis thing, I, had, I actually had some offers. Uh, um, uh, one time we were racing down in Mexico city in uh, 1980 and I was still with Larry Cannon and we actually finished sixth in that race, which, which I don't know how the heck we ever did that. It was a road course down in Mexico city. Um, and, um, we, uh, they screwed up the, uh, like the rooms, the reservations. So everybody's just kind of sleeping with everybody. Well, I, I, I got hooked in a room with a guy by the name of, uh, Chuck Sprague at the time he worked for Penske racing. He was just a mechanic and we got to be buddies. And, um, he, uh, he, he, he offered me a job to go to work for Penske racing, you know? And that back then I said, man, I'm not ready for this stuff. I'm a you know kid just right out of high school. I don't have no degree, blah, blah, blah. And I, and like a dummy, I didn't take the opportunity. Um, so then I, you know, so that's, I, I should have probably looked at doing that, but I didn't think I was ready for it. Um, so then I came back and just started dabble with the, uh, the modified sprint cars and stuff like that. And then, uh, I got hooked up with a fellow by the name of Brett Hearn and he and I had a lot of success together. Um, after I left statewide and won a bunch of races, Brett, uh, just, uh, retired last year. He's going to run a handful of races this year, but, um, he's like the all time dirt modified King and, uh, over 900 wins and he's. Fact, they're going to put him in a, a Hall of Fame here in uh, Weedsport, New York, this summer. So, uh, at the time he and I were talking about uh, going south, moving south together, and we talked about maybe doing some Formula IndyCar stuff, the uh, Super Bs, and we looked into that and it cost too much. And then we said, oh, let's look at the stock car deal. So, we looked into the stock car thing, and then 
we actually started, uh, we actually built uh, a Bush Grand National car and we raced it out of Pennsylvania. And um, Brett and I, and um, first time out, we, we ran 10th at the Overdowns. Uh, and this is, you know, there's stacked guys back then. There's a serious, serious racers. A lot of them are retired now. Um, and long story short, you know, we did that for a few years and then I got to know a couple of people and then, uh, uh, Brett, Brett had the opportunity and if he were pushed a little bit longer, I think he'd have made a big time in, in uh, NASCAR without doubt in my mind. But, uh, you know, he was doing real well at the dirt stuff and, and, uh, he had more, more to lose than I did. So I, I, uh, pretty much picked up and decided going to go south and that's what we did. And who'd you get hooked up with when you went south? Who was the first team you worked for there? Actually, it's kind of funny. Uh, what I used to do, um, after I got my feet wet with some, uh, with some, uh, NASCAR stuff, when I moved back to the modified things, I stayed in, uh, stayed in touch with like, uh, Alan Kowicki and, um, Alan, like I would help him at Dover. I'd help him at Pocono and help him at Martinsville or well, Alan at the time was, it was just starting his deal out. He was sponsored by Xerox back then. Um, and, uh, he was tough to work for, man. I mean, he was this guy. I mean, he's, you know, he, he was on his own agenda. Uh, I got along great with him, don't get me wrong, but he was he was tough. And uh, he offered me a job to come move south to work for him, but, you know, I was making more money working for Dirt Modified. And so I didn't do it. So then when I finally decided to do it, uh, my first job down here was uh, I went to work for Raymock Race, and uh, Morgan Shepard was the driver. And then some things changed around with the team, and then I got hooked up with uh, Moroso. And uh, Robbie Moroso, and we, uh, that, that's when I started really getting into uh, heavily and we wound up winning the Bush Grand Alshel Championship in 1989. And then, uh, Robbie had died in a car wreck in 1990 yeah. in September. Um, it's uh, a race hit for North Wilkesboro. And he, he still won the Rookie of the Year that year. Um, and, uh, you know, the reason I moved south was to be a crew chief. Because I, I, I was, you know, um, I was young enough. I was, I was learning quick enough. I was, you know, I had some good skills. And, uh, you know, so that's, that's the reason I moved south. And, you know, I always wanted to be like everybody else, you know, you know, move, move south and be a success and live on the lake and get your boats and blah, 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 you know? So that's what we tried. <laughs> so you, you've spent, how many years did you spend with, um, after, uh, you worked with the Moroso team, when did you end up getting hooked up with Hendrick? Well, it's a funny story. I, I worked with, uh, Moroso. Uh, we won the Bush championship in 89, went cup racing in 90. He got killed on the highway. And right at that time, after everything was all said and done, Robert Yates come to the team and got a bunch of guys together and he offered to take the whole team, all the guys on the team. Cause at the time, Dick Moroso wasn't quite sure if he was going to continue or not. Well, every guy on the team went with Robert Yates and I didn't go. And the reason I didn't go is because I, at the time I had a, a mobile home on Dick Moroso's property. And, um, my wife would, uh, you know, I worked in the shop and at, at, after, after hours I'd come home and I'd cut his grass. He, he had a, a big lawnmower. He bought me. So I'd cut his grass, kind of keep it on his place. He had horses. Just kind of took care of his property, and worked for him full time. And then uh, after everybody left, I, I stayed with Dick because he, you know he, I felt loyal to him. And then I stayed there for about uh, about a year or so, just restoring cars, Robbie stuff. And then we started running. Or Sammy Swindell drove some stuff for us, and Steve Grissom drove for stuff for us. And you know, we we tried to keep the keep the deal going, but it, it didn't. Uh, it didn't. Uh, you know, uh, after that, what happens? I made I made a mistake. I moved back up north. And, uh, that's 97, um, uh, because my father-in-law was, uh, you know, he was getting up there in age and had some things going on. And, and, um, uh, when I moved up North and I, I didn't get back down to the cup country until 97, but when I moved back up North, I, I tinker building modifies for Knizel and, uh, 
and did some modified stuff and uh, Freightliner modified and stuff like that. But I moved back down in '97 and been here ever since. And you work for Hendrick, and then uh, and now you're working for Starcom. There, that that's got to be two different sides of the coin. You know, the Hendrick Motorsports campus is is you know. God, it looks like a, a mini factory with, uh, you know, a number of buildings and acres and acres of land. And the Starcom, you know, you guys are doing things on, you know, you're like a shoestring budget. And really, I think it's one of the greatest stories in NASCAR when when guys, when the little guys can get on the track and run with the big dogs. Well, it, it, it's funny because, I mean, I had a great, great career going. And, um, you know, like I said, when I moved, when I moved down here in the early or late 80s, I wanted to be a crew chief. When I got back down here in 97, I just, I just figured out, I'll let this, uh, I'll let it go wherever it goes, you know? Um, and the technology changed a whole bunch from, you know, 89 to 97, you know? I mean, I tried to stay on top of it, but things have changed. And, um, we just, uh, got, got hooked up with Hendrick and, and, uh, worked our way there and, uh, you know, he'll work my way up to work with Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Johnson, Jeff Gordon. We took care of uh, that team, uh, in twenty four forty eight shop and work my way up to mechanical director. And I had like a hundred guys and six departments to kind of look after and, and, um, did that real successful. Uh, I think it was, um, 2008. I won the Papa Joe Hendrick award, which, uh, uh, I always make a joke. I said, it's like winning the Heisman. Yeah. Um, Papa Joe Hendrick is, uh, is, uh, Rick's father. And, uh, the cool part about it is it's, it's, uh, the people that work there vote for the person, uh, the nominee. So, uh, you know, I won that award and pretty proud of it. Um, so, uh, had a good career there at, at Henrik. And then, so lo and behold, a couple of things happened. I got hurt and, you know, things of that nature on a, on a job and worked all out. And I ended up at, uh, Starcom because Tony Furr was the crew chief, or one of the crew chiefs I worked with over there at, uh, um, uh, at Hendrick. And, uh, when he got over to Starcom, he, uh, he called me up and he said, come on over here and help us get this deal going. So I went over there and uh, here I am. But, uh, it's a funny thing back in the, the, when I first moved back in 97 real quickly is, uh, um, a friend of mine had a driving school and I went there to kind of work for him to get, get down south, get established again. And, um, long story made short, I built, I wanted to build Richard Petty, Petty enterprise. I wanted to build uh, him a race car. Cause uh, I was building cars for the school and I conned Richard in one time. So listen, we're building all these cars. Why don't you let me build a car for your race team? And, uh, he joked around a little bit and, so it re, you know, got all of his goals done. He went out to, Hey, cat in a hat. It's time for us to, to build that race car. Right. So he, he went ahead and yeah. Okay. Okay. Long story made sure Robbie Loomis was over there at, uh, Petty's den and we get to know Robbie and we, uh, Robbie said, get and build me a car for Martin. So I said, okay, long story made sure we, we get the car all ready to go. And Robbie said, how are we making out? So pretty good, man. I'll have this thing uh, done. Uh, another, you know, a couple more days, give him a couple more days. But he goes, good, man. I'm going to take that thing to Bristol. I said, you're going to take this thing to Bristol. I said, you said you're going to take it to Martinsville. Loomis says, Man, I gotta have that car. I said, well, you gotta give me a couple more days of this thing. Because, I mean, you're going from flattest track to the high bank track. So I put some more bracing in it and, and got it ready for, for Bristol. Uh, long story made short, uh, the car wound up actually winning at Rockingham in 97, Bobby Hamilton, um, uh, driving it at Rockingham. It's a car that we built. Um, I designed it. Uh, it was basically off of Laughlin, uh, points and stuff, but we did, a, we did our own things, uh, some stuff I learned over the years motor angles and stuff of this and that. A lot of things that we did with the car was real successful. And then, um, of course, when Loomis got over there to uh, um, Hendrick and he found out I was a Hendrick, he, that's when he got me to go for the 48 car and, uh, when they were starting Jimmy's deal. I, I went for the 25 car, moved up the hill. Uh, Jimmy started um, that year. With, they moved in with Jeff. And I actually didn't start. I missed like the first two 
months of uh, Jimmy Johnson's rookie year in, in shop, and then I, I got up there after Loomis got me in there, and, and lo and behold, that, that's where we end up. Uh, wound up winning five championships in a row with Jimmy, and and um, uh, had great people working for me, great job. Um, my oldest son still works there. He'll be there 20 years, so got a good relationship with Hendrick. Mr. Hendrick's a great guy, great team. Um, but, you know, like I said, they, they've got uh, 600 people to work there. Okay, now keep that in mind. Now I go over to Starcom, we've got 15 people that work there. We're running the same series, running the same same deal. Now out of our 15 people, probably 8 to 10 of them actually work on the car. So, you know, uh, it goes to show you the workload. And, and, our, and our budget, I mean, we're doing what we can. I mean, the people from Starcom are great people. We're trying to build this deal. You know, it's based on sponsorship nowadays and, um, and performance. And I keep saying every now and then, uh, you'll see on my Twitter, uh, rinsetwister.com or double uh, zero.com. You'll see that I, I always kind of always, we had just a little bit more funding and stuff. We can make a difference. And I really believe we could, but you know, it just takes the money. You know, we don't have, you know, with 15 people against 600 and, you know, Penske's got three, 400, whatever these guys all got. I mean, they're, they're powerhouses, man. They're, they're factory support. I mean, they got computers, they got access to wind tunnels and, and things of that nature. We, we've got, you know, we've got, we've got what we got, you know, and, uh, it's nothing, uh, against Starcom. It's just we're doing the best we can with what we have. And I think we're doing pretty good. I I think all anybody or all any race fans look at is they see uh, a team like Jeremy Clements grab that win at Road America. So you know it can happen. You just got to have all the dominoes fall exactly in your favor. And in a sport where it's, you know, hundreds and thousands of a second make the difference. And, you know, you guys are doing it with your brains and other teams are doing it with the just the bulk of people data and cash well i've got two good examples of why i know we can do it um for one that jeremy jeremy clones deal is awesome i mean when he did that it was, it was great his father builds motors builds a lot of good race car motors for grassroots stuff kids got a lot of talent but i remember when i went back when i worked with kawiki he here's a guy when he when he moved south he had one car and like two motors and ran the whole series and he built you know i don't quickly race from that and we built we we built that and um and went from there and uh, he, he uh, Alan wound up winning the championship and turning down a ride with Junior Johnson and then um you know back when uh, uh furniture uh, furniture row started with uh Mr Visser there you know everybody kind of said hey, let's just team this guy's out Denver North Car- or Denver Colorado not that we do have a Denver North Carolina Denver Colorado runs a team out of there and everyone's kind of what's going on here doing everything out of Denver and he goes out and wins the championship so it can be done um. It takes funding. Uh, we've got the know-how. We got people smart enough at Starcom. Very smart people. We got, you know, some uh, old cup crew chiefs um, there, and uh, Ken Glenn. He, he runs the fab shop. We got some good people there. We just need a little more funding to get some more people. You know, keep in mind we got 15, where these other guys got, you know, 600, 400, 300, and uh, we do it all. Uh, you know, the same thing they're doing. We're going to show up the same racetrack on Sunday and try to run against them, but we're doing the best we can. Well, and a team like Starcom, for a company that's looking to get into racing or use racing as a platform, I think they're the perfect team to get involved with because you can grow along with the team. You can actually make the make a difference for that kind of team. Whereas on these big mega teams, you know, you see these sponsors sign up for a race or two. Are they really getting that kind of value out of it versus... Well, you know, tying into somebody who can, you can make a difference. 
Whereas, well, you know what? For, for what those guys, I didn't mean to cut you off, Scott. I'm sorry, but for what those guys are getting paid for one race, you know, we could probably run five races. Okay. And, you know, and it's going to take, it's going to be baby steps. I mean, we're there. We just need to get over the hump. We need to, we need to ramp up our motor program a little bit. We got good motors. We you got, you got to do that. We got to ramp up our, our cars a little bit. You know, arrows big. We got to work on some more arrow stuff. Um, you know, there's a lot of things to work on, you know, uh, work on, um, some of our structure, the way we do things. Cause keep in mind, we got 15 people now and, um, you know, there's, there's things we can do. We've got to know how we just, it just takes, uh, it takes, uh, revenue it takes uh, money it takes people um we've got the good foundation we just need to be able to build on it and it can be done if, if the right funding came along and we don't and, and right now starcom doesn't need you know the, the gazillions of gazillions we could do a lot with a little and maybe build on it and, and show that you know we are worthy enough of the of the you know them partner with us you know tell us about quinn huff quinn's a great kid he's out of virginia um we, uh, he came on board. Uh, he's uh, got a lot of, uh, late model experience. Like every other child, kid come up, he started, uh, go-karts and late models. And, uh, uh, Quinn's got a lot, a lot of, a lot of talent. His biggest drawback is going to be getting, uh, uh, getting laps uh, as far as like, uh, well, I'm looking for like the second part of the season where we'll, we'll, uh, where we'll, uh, we'll excel with Quinn. You know, he's still learning some of the racetracks. He did run like 15 or 16 races last year. Done well. Uh, for what he had um and we're still learning what he likes and don't get me wrong but i mean we got four or five races in before the covid coming and got everybody uh put a halt to everything but we're, we're working on a notebook uh quinn's a real good kid to work with um he listens uh you know we're uh um you know we listen to his feedback and we try to train him and and, and Derek cope being a general manager there with his racing experience he kind of helps helps uh helps him with situations about what to do on the racetrack and how to how to work on your qualifying and your you know, uh, just different things to make a, a better performance. But I think we're going to be fine. We just got to get Quinn some laps and, and get get some time with him. And I think we'll be good. You know, when you hear the names that you're bringing up yourself, Tony Fur, Derek Cope, you know there's a lot of knowledge in that building. And it shows you guys unloading the car week in and week out and competing with the big dogs. What are you hearing as far as maybe getting the green flag to start going racing again? I saw yesterday the North Carolina governor is giving the team's permission to start working. So hopefully we're starting to see the end of this. Well, I mean, I wish I wish they'd have said that all along. Um, the, the made us essential all along. Or else we, we, you know, we're we're like everybody else. I mean, we're. Uh, we've got a lot of work to do and, um, you know, the, the, the close the doors and shut the lights out for about a month or so. I mean, we got to hit the ground running. Uh, right now I should know by the end of the day what our, what our, uh, what our schedule is going to be. I'm hearing that teams may be able to start back up Monday. Uh, if that's the case, we'll, uh, we'll, uh, if they give us the green light, we'll be in there Monday working hard. I keep hearing there may be a race mid mid May. Um, so we've got to get ready for that race. Um, and then of course, with that being said, there'll be Charlotte at the end of May, and, and a lot of these races will not have the fans want to understand. And they're going to they're going to NASCAR make some announcements of what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. I mean, we're going to be um, doing everything um, social distancing and and all the right things, and then uh, no fans for a while. It's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a learning experience for everybody. But and then of course that's all got to start in the shop too. You know, we we still got to maintain social distancing and uh, keep an eye on germs and stuff like that. Cause we, you know, we don't want anybody to get sick and we don't, you know, it's just, cause if, it, if that happens, somebody gets sick, then everybody gets sick. So, um, it's going to be a learning curve and I'm pretty sure the way uh, the world operates is no different than nine 11. This is just definitely going to be an, an eye opener for everybody. 
No doubt, no doubt. Well, we're going to wish you the best of luck as you continue on this season. We're looking forward to following you as you go along. I'm going to tell all the race fans that are listening, Wrench Twister double zero on Twitter. Uh, Charlie's great to interact with. We appreciate you taking time out of your day, and we definitely want to hook up with you later on this year. Yeah, that's good. We'll do, do like a mid-season report and, uh, and um, see how we're going. Like I said, when I get back, it's going to be wide open, and I always try to uh, – um, put a couple posts out there in a day. Uh, let let the folks know what we're doing there at Starcom and how we're how we're actually getting to the racetrack and uh, give you a behind scene uh, in the shop photos and tell a little bit about what we're doing. We try to do that every day, and uh, I try to interact with the fans as much as I can. It, it's going to get harder and harder to work, but I'll do the best I can. But uh, we'll, we'll be posting stuff two three times a day, letting us know how we're doing each day, uh, getting through the racetrack through the weekend, and uh, and uh, and see how exciting it is but yeah that'll be great i'm looking forward to it awesome we appreciate the time charlie langenstein the mechanical director for starcom racing one of our guests today on the pittsburgh racing now podcast thanks charlie hey i appreciate it guys have fun out there to steel city covid19 better known as coronavirus has spread throughout the world information about children with this disease is limited but they are known to have had mild symptoms many organizations are responding accordingly depending upon their area It's best to stay home and away from others, especially when sick, and continue following healthy hand wash guidelines, covering mouth and nose and not touching your face or high-touch surfaces. Clean and disinfect high-touch surfaces regularly, and for more information, please visit cdc.gov forward slash COVID-19. Thank you. Thanks to Graham Ray Hall and Charlie Langenstein for joining us on this week's edition of the Pittsburgh Racing Now podcast. And thanks to you for joining us, race fans. Don't forget to stay up to speed on all of the local racing news, as well as the latest in the world of NASCAR, IndyCar, sports tracks, and dirt tracks over at PittsburghRacingNow.com. Any use of this podcast without the express written consent of Pittsburgh Racing Now is prohibited. I'm Scott Stiller. Stay safe and healthy, race fans. We will talk to you next week.